Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. This is a special bonus episode, and we're going to be talking about Brexit, but with a Norwegian flavour. The so-called Norwegian option for a post-Brexit Britain is something that's attracting quite a bit of buzz and even some official interest. French President Hollande raised the prospect of Britain doing a Norway just yesterday. But what is this Norwegian option? And what does it mean in practice? And how different from EU membership would it be? My colleague in DC, Saleh Moshin, knows a little bit about this, having just returned from the better part of a decade covering economics and government in Norway, and before that, Britain. Saleh, welcome to the show, and welcome back to the US. Hi, Dan. It's great to be back. And have your family arrived yet? My son is with me. The rest are on their way. So what is this Norwegian option for Britain? It feels a little obscure, but perhaps it's not. Fill us in. Well, Norway is part of the EEA, which is all of the EU countries, plus Norway, Liechtenstein, and Iceland. Um, And those three countries that are basically add-ons combined, they represent a little bit less than six million people. So this EEA, this European Economic Area, you're saying it's a decaf EU? Basically, yeah. Okay, and what does being a member of that entail as opposed to being a full member of the EU? Well, they do have access to the single market. They have free movement of labor. What they don't have is a voice when it comes to uh, establishing EU laws and regulations. For Norway, a very small country with lots of oil, they joined the EEA for access to the single market to, you know, to sell oil. They probably don't need the EEA, but to bring up the oil, they needed skilled foreign labor, and that came from different parts of the EU. And they also need a way to support their non-oil economy. And for that, they definitely need access to the EU. Now, the decaf EU also involves the free movement of capital. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. And decaf members also contribute to the EU budget. Yeah. Norway spends roughly $900 million a year contributing to the EU budget. But in return, they have had to adopt about 75% of EU's laws just to get access to the single market. And those laws, they did not have any direct uh, access to the debate or discussions behind making those laws. So you have an in, but you don't get any control or have any influence over the terms of those in. Yeah, that's pretty much the case. Well, again, I'm struggling to see why serious people are bringing this up as an option for Britain. What's the appeal? I mean, for one thing, I would imagine that a lot of people in London at this point probably want an option that will lessen the blow of what they are now facing. For members of EFTA, which is the European Free Trade Association, which is Norway and Switzerland, Iceland and Liechtenstein, for those members, if the UK rejoins, they they were part of it until the 70s, if they rejoin, it kind of brings a bit more weight to this group of nations. And has it served Norway well? I think it has. Um, Norway is a small economy. It can't really afford to not be part of the EEA and not open itself up to Europe. 
Finance Minister Steve Jensen, who leads the Progress Party, um, which actually has a very strict stance on immigration. She said in the last couple of days to local media that she, in 1994, when the, when Norway had a referendum, she voted to join the EU. But now she's saying after having seen how that model has worked out for them, she's happy with what they've chosen. And if asked today, she would say, no, we should not join. We'll get back to Norway's referendum in a second. So what you're saying is that there is broad support within the political community in Norway for things being just as they are. Pretty much. The two larger parties, Labour and the Conservative Party, both have come out to say that they support the model that they have now. There are some outliers. There's a small farming farming population in Norway. They have a small party that's kind of dedicated to what they want, and they are kind of always unhappy with the status quo. Is there a Nigel Farage in Norway who stirs up trouble? I don't know if there's a single person, but the farmers have been known to bring their tractors and farm animals and cowbells to the capital to uh, make their statement. And what does that look like? Well, they roll through the capital. They show up at parliament when it comes to negotiating producer prices. And what they have is a lot of power. They have some of the highest government subsidies in the OECD you know, support from the government for what they do. Let's get back to the referendum, because that sounds familiar to me. Did Norway have a referendum on EU membership? Yes, twice, actually. They had a referendum in 1972, and then a second one in 1994. Was it closer the second time? No, actually, it was um, It was a resounding no to stay a separate nation, completely separate from the EU. What happened was that two years before, in 1992, they joined the EEA. For our listeners, EEA, again, is EU decaf, right? That's what we're talking about. Basically. It's sometimes easy to get lost in the alphabet soup of these things. Yes. In 1992, Norway opted to start the process of becoming part of EU decaf. They joined the EEA. And two years later, when they were asked in a referendum, do you want to join uh, the EU, they could afford to say no, because in their back pocket, they already knew that the EEA process, EU decaf, had already started. There's some history here prior to the referendums. My understanding is that Norway was in line, eligible for membership of the group that preceded the EU along with uh, the UK and a couple of other countries, and uh, de Gaulle shafted them. Is that correct? That is true. I think it was actually a wrap-up of the UK, Norway, and a couple of other countries that together he vetoed there. Did Norway Um, get thrown under the bus just because it was with the UK? I don't know if I can say it was just because of the UK, but they were definitely wrapped up in that storm. So again, I'm struggling. This EU decaf, it seems like the UK has gone through an awful lot of trouble. There's been an awful lot of market upheaval. There's been an awful lot of political turmoil and capital spent, maybe just to arrive at a place that's not that different. Well, the EU decaf option is one of many that have been thrown out there. I don't know if the Leave campaign really had this in mind when they were making promises to voters in the UK, if this is one way of going. I think now it seems like it's one of those situations where they're scrambling to find the best solution in a messy situation. Now, Norway has oil, and lots of it. Did that give the Norwegians the feeling that, "Ah, well, okay, it's not to the end of the world because we're still rich in commodities? 
You know, by the 90s, they probably could say that. In the late 60s, 70s, they were still discovering oil, trying to figure out how to bring up this oil, trying to get enough labor force support to to sort of logistically do everything. By the 90s, they knew that they had a lot in the early 2000s and late 2000s, or, you know, recently they have found even more oil. By now, they have, you know, an $800 billion sovereign wealth fund that gives tiny little Norway, a lot of leverage, you know, that that sovereign wealth fund is Europe's largest investor. And the funny thing is that now Norway could have a bit of power just through its membership on the EFTA Council. If the UK wants back into the European Free Trade Association for some kind of EU decaf, Norway has a say in that. And is the Norwegian economy evolving in ways that make the EU more or less appealing? Because, you know, underlying most political sentiment, there's an economic shift. Definitely. You know, Norway more and more needs the EU's support. Uh, Norway has kind of reached its peak in its oil boom. Now it is really looking to drive growth in non-oil industries. Ever since the Brexit vote, I mean, it was very unfortunate. The day of the Brexit vote, the Norwegian Central Bank had a rate decision where they came out very positive. They took one rate cut off the table. And that night, you know, spurred a lot of conversation that maybe zero rates are ahead for Norway because they really need the UK. The UK it ex- exports a lot of gas to the UK. They need a good relationship there. And in the meantime, they need to find a way to support their economy, their non-oil economy, which relies on, on the EU. Well, Saleh, this has been helpful. I really appreciate you joining us in this bonus episode of Bloomberg Benchmark. Are you going back to Norway for the summer vacation? I will be in D.C. for the summer. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you all for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher and Google Play. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. You can get me at, at Daniel Moss DC and our guest, Saleya at... Saleya Mosin, S-A-L-E-H-A-M-O-H-S-I-N. Talk to you soon.